Magazines and Monsters, Episode 19, Assignment Terror, 1970. Umo 206 calling Earth. Reply, please. Contact made. Kirian Werner, surgeon, killed in war action. Maleva Kerstein, doctor of biochemistry, killed in automobile accident. Both persons have required characteristics and have been incarnated by our envoys. They will contact you. Remember, success of mission depends on exploiting to the full the superstitions prevalent among the Earth creatures. The first objective is Blaustadt Fairground. <coughs> everybody uh billy d aka doc strange here back with another recording and i have been looking forward to this one for quite a while because i'm getting to talk about an actor and a film that i had just eh, recently gotten into maybe in the last five years or so and uh, the way i get into it was listening to another podcast and that podcast is called the nashi cast and uh one of the co-hosts and the brain behind that one is my guest today, Mr. Rod Barnett. How are you, Rod? I am fine, and being described as the brain behind something makes me uh, makes me concerned. I have to admit. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't be uh, bashful here. You have uh, many podcasts. That's the one I know you from first and foremost. But uh, actually, I got to know your work from uh, a mutual podcast we both uh, listened to over the years, the B-Movie Cast. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know about that show, it's, you know, they talk about B-Movies, you know, sci-fi, horror, all sorts of crazy movies on that show. And that's been on the air for a good Lord, probably, what, Ooh. 12 years, 13 years? Oh, man, probably closer to 15 plus. Wow. Say. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been around quite a while. And uh Fun show, so definitely give that a listen. But yeah, also listen to uh, the Nashi Cast or uh, the Bloody Pit. That is Rod's other show too. And I was just listening to that one this morning, uh, Night Monster. So you guys are talking about some uh, 1940s uh, uh, old school horror on that one, which I love to hear you talk about as well. Well, the the Bloody Pit ranges all over the place. That's kind of why I've set that show up the way I did, so that uh, you know we we can episode to episode talk about just whatever different subject, whatever guest comes onto the show wants to discuss. I mean, we, uh, we're currently taking a run through a very long run through. It's taking us years to do this, taking a run through the, uh, the, uh, universal horror films made in the 1940s. In other words, the, uh, the kind of, uh, war years, 
of the uh, of, of the studio, which which includes a lot of films that people know very well, but also quite a few that are less well known, like uh, like Night Monster. And we're kind of going in uh, we're going in chronological order year by year. And uh, we're go- we're going to be including their uh, Sherlock Holmes films as well, which is a bit of a detour. Mm. But some of those are uh, some of those are actually straight out Universal horror films as well. So we're going to include those. I, we the show ranges all over the place. I mean, one 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 episode we'll be talking about some crazed Italian horror film made in the late '80s in Florida, and then the next, uh, you know, 1941 Steven Spielberg's giant, uh, you know, <laughs> World War II comedy <laughs> epic. It just it, it you never can tell exactly what we'll talk about, and uh, of course, you mentioned the Nashi cast, and that's directly a subject on which we will uh, touch today. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we, yeah, we've, yeah. Been, we've been doing that show for about a dozen years, and we've slowed down a little bit because we've covered uh, pretty much every Nashi film we can get our hands on. There's still a few outliers that we're waiting for uh, people to provide subtitles for, but uh, we've hit all the big ones, and we've had a great deal of success with the Nashi cast, and the uh, that show existed to do what I hope we do here today, which is to just bring more attention to Paul Nashi and the films that he made, because uh, until the past just few years, he was not nearly as well known as he deserves to be. And to be honest, uh, the more people who learn about him, the better. Yeah, for real. I mean, it's uh, he's one of those guys that, like you said, is not maybe, you know, very mainstream, especially over here in the States, you know, certainly in Europe. But uh, yeah, Assignment Terror is the film we're going to be talking about today. And this is a wild one. It's, this one has <laughs> everything in it, as we talked about off mic beforehand here. And um, that's definitely... Uh, yeah, Nashi for sure. This is one that I think he ended up writing the screenplay for this one, didn't he as well? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, actually, I can give it to you directly. For, I can give you uh, the details on that directly mm-hmm. from him, oh, yeah. which is which is which is always I, that's one of my favorite things to be able to do. There was this great interview that he did uh, back in the uh, early '90s where mm-hmm. they they sat down and talked with him and went through each one of his films, and so he had some specific things to say about almost every one of his movies, mm-hmm. and. Um, this this is uh, the second finished of his werewolf movies. Uh, they they feature a, a character named Waldemar Danenski, who is a Polish nobleman who uh, unfortunately contracts the curse of lycanthropy, which of course means he turns into a stinking werewolf. Poor guy. And <laughs> uh, the first movie that he made uh, with this character came out in 1968, called uh, the Mark of the Mark of the Werewolf or La Marca del Hombre Lobo, and uh, was brought over here to the States uh, and given a different title. Uh, that would be Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, but we'll talk about that on another, on a, at another time. Mm-hmm. There's no Frank, there's no Frankenstein in that movie, but there is in this movie. <laughs> it's it's best not to think too hard about these things. People. <laughs> it, 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 it give you it give you a headache. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that Nashi said about this, he said, uh, after the success of the first film, the the Mark of the the Mark of the Werewolf. Uh, uh, one of his um, one of his producers called him and asked for another script because Nashi had written the script for that first werewolf film and then had ended up almost by default to a degree playing the main character because the original plan was to get Lon Chaney Jr. But by the late 60s, that was not going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea occurred to me, he says, to make the definitive monster thon, including some extraterrestrials as well. The idea was that an alien agent would reunite 
all of the monsters who had occasioned our most ancestral fears and bring them to life in order to dominate mankind. The <laughs> idea that later was not in the film because we weren't able to finish it as we wanted was that he was going to create authentic clones of these monsters in order to help the extraterrestrials to dominate and colonize the earth. It brought the most classic Gothicism to the modern day theme of US U- UFOs. Uh, now, he, he goes on to talk a little bit about the, the details and some of the problems that they had making the film in that it was uh, cr- production was halted numerous times when they would run out of money. And then different people <laughs> would like put money into the pot and they would crank it back up and, and film some more. But needless to say, it was a troubled production and uh, kind of start and stop. Uh, the bulk of the film was directed by one guy. He estimates about 70% of the movie was directed by one guy and 30% by someone else. So it was a troubled production, but uh, there's a lot of love in the movie. And when when we get into the deta- details of exactly why he would concoct such a crazy scenario, it's going to be pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, he like you said, he had already had that one uh, werewolf film under his belt. And I think that was actually pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it, One thing I, I will... Uh, caution people if you have not seen um many spanish films uh till they made it over here into the states and you can attest to this they get chopped up a lot they get dubbed heavily so it's definitely a way different experience than american horror and even british horror they're really not even anything really alike to be honest yeah it's true uh the all all the uh all the stuff the, the the what we would call the the classic stuff made in the 60s and 70s and actually all the way up through the late 80s they would be dubbed into english as a matter of fact they were shooting them with the knowledge that they were going to be dubbed into various languages that's just the way those things were done at the time when you were making uh horror and science fiction films or or thrillers you weren't uh, expecting these to be in some kind of a, a quote-unquote original language with subtitles. These were done for the exploitation market. These were done for grindhouses and especially for drive-in theaters. So <laughs> subtitles were a no-go. These needed to be dubbed. And sometimes, he says sometimes with a massive stress on that word, <laughs> the, dubbing, the dubbing is good. Most of the time, the dubbing will get you by. And sometimes, the dubbing adds a level of entertainment value to these films that was not necessarily intentional. And sometimes all three of those possibilities are embodied in a single film. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might be the case here where I could point to each of those cases, depending on what section of the movie we're looking at. Yeah, for real. Uh, This one, but in the end, uh, before we even get started, I will say this is a really fun movie. There's different cuts you can find here and there. You know, I think the the one you're you're looking for that has, you know, all the minutes in there is it's like, you know, around like 85, 87 minutes somewhere in there. Am I yeah. correct? Because there's That's different right. versions. And yeah, you can find out there that are like five, ten minutes less than that. But, yeah, definitely look for the one with the, the highest minute count to try to get everything <laughs> in there. But, but, yeah, this one, this is a wild one. Like you said, yeah, the dubbing sometimes you're like it, sometimes it's. Yeah, that's not bad. And other times it's, uh, what's going on here? And sometimes it's good for a laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets the it gets the job done and it tells the story, but its effectiveness varies from scene to scene. And uh, if you if you are, are interested in in checking this out in the best way possible, it has been issued on uh, Blu-ray by a bo- by what we refer to as a boutique label, a small label called Scorpion 
uh, Scorpion releasing, and you can find it on the uh, the good old interwebs at a site called Ronin Flicks. And I highly recommend it because uh, any version you're going to see online is, I think, and you can attest to this, uh, <laughs> it's going to it's going to look. Uh, pretty bad it's not gonna it's it, it like it's, it's as if you have cataracts perhaps it's not <laughs> a great looking and uh i have to admit having watched this movie several times over the years um when that when the blu-ray came out it was a revelation it was like watching the movie for the first time not just because suddenly you can see all the detail but it's also that it was you know the first time you you've seen a good widescreen print with the correct lighting and the correct amount of uh, color in the print. And it, it, uh, it, it honestly makes you like the movie a little bit more, even though the reason you're coming to the movie in the first place is because it's a, a whacked out monster mash of a film anyway. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if you want to see a good print, that's very well lit and you can understand and see everything going on and all the scenes definitely get to Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. If, if you're interested, it is worth it. Yes. All right, so what about the cast here really quick? Like, the oh, yeah. the, the, the lead guy here, I recognized him right away, uh, Michael oh, Rennie. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to recognize him immediately for, well, let me think, uh, probably the day the Earth stood still. <laughs> that's, mm. that's where most people are going to know him from without even blinking. But he was, you know, he was a mm. Hollywood actor. He was around for a long time. I, was, I really enjoyed him in a number of films, including uh, uh, The Lost World from 1960, which is, uh, mm-hmm. One of my one of my favorite little uh, one of my favorite little super colorful films from Erwin uh, Allen during that period of time, but mm-hmm. he was in a he was in blue bajillion films, both good and bad, and a lot of television. And yeah, if you've ever seen Day the Earth Is Still, you're never going to forget his face. And of course, what's wild is that in this case, he's uh, in this film playing another alien, <laughs> which is great. Now, was this his final film? Uh, pretty close. Yes, he was not well. Uh, when he made this film, although, uh, you know, I, he, he does, he does quite a good job. There was one more, one more appearance in a film called Stony that wasn't released until 1974, but it, it is, uh, it is, it is true that that was a posthumous release. He died in, uh, June of 1971. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, he, like you said, he's pretty good in this flick. He's actually, you know, uh, an alien, uh, or, or, or I guess I should say an alien that's taken over a human host, maybe. Yeah. yeah that's a good way. He, yeah, he's he's pretty good. He's very stoic, very cold, very calculated. It's it's a pretty creepy character, you know, even with these monsters running around in this flick. Well, he's really great. He's one of those actors who is is so centered, and the camera the camera really likes him a lot, and it allows him to, even when he's not in close up, communicate a lot of information and a lot of. Uh, uh, kind of emotional nuance as to what the character might be thinking just with a shift of his eyes. He's quite good at getting across a lot. Uh, even though he he's one of the characters in the film that is is forced to do a lot of expedition exposition. He drops a lot of dialogue in this movie. But even when he's uh, he's not, uh, you know, laying out, you know, a couple of paragraphs of explanation for whatever crazy thing you just saw or, or about to see, uh, he's good. He's good at uh, he's 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 a great actor. And so he's able to get across a lot of information, even just by the expressions on his face. And like I say, just cutting his eyes in certain ways. He's he's a he's a pleasure to watch. Yeah, he's a huge bright spot in the film. There's no doubt about that. And then. We have our buddy Paul Nashi, like you said, as Count uh, Valdemar Daninsky uh, as well, the, uh, yep. the werewolf. 
Now, here's the thing. If you were to do a, a word count of just how much dialogue Nashi has in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, you would be shocked to learn he wrote the thing because <laughs> it's very clear that uh, one of the troubling things about this production and about the finished form of the film is that the vast majority of what he probably wrote for himself just ended up either not getting shot or on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. To a degree, the uh, the werewolf character is just another character in the film, and one suspects, especially when the film starts out with them uh, reviving his werewolf character and then kind of using him as a, uh, a, a henchman character to kind of be an enforcer and help them go get the other monsters, then maybe mm-hmm. that part was supposed to be a little larger. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just not that's not the way the film works out. And it's it's kind of strange. Yeah, it is very weird because usually when Nashi is in the film, he's the star and he has a ton of dialogue and he's the main guy where Michael Rennie's the main guy in this one. And, you know, to a degree, that's something that, you know, Nashi would not have had a problem with, because let's be honest. W- one thing you should know right up front about Paul Nashi is that Paul Nashi loved monster movies he loved horror movies he loved science fiction movies he read it he breathed it uh the thing that you will note very quickly is that this is a monster filled movie assignment terror regardless of the title that it has that makes it sound like some kind of euro spy movie (laughs) the 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 real title of the movie uh in spanish was los monstruos del terror which is the monsters of terror which is (laughs) Basically, a much more accurate title for this, although Assignment Terror just, you know, it, it works just fine. But when you look at this movie, the guy who wrote this was heavily influenced from a young age by Monster Mash movies. As a matter of fact, one of the flashpoint moments of his young life was as a kid being taken to the theater in Spain and seeing Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And mm-hmm. it changed his life. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when you mm-hmm. see, especially when you get to the the incredible climax of this film, which is worth, I mean, this movie's worth its weight in gold for the final for the final battle, if nothing else. And oh, yeah. if you if you can draw a straight line from Frankenstein meets the Wolfman to Assignment Terror, and Paul Nash, you would be the person standing there with a big marker drawing that line for you and pointing to it. It's exactly what he was aiming for. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense now that you just said that because you figure that movie has Frankenstein monster, it has Wolfman, it has Dracula. That, that movie has it all too. Well, Frankenstein wow. meets the Wolfman was the first. Uh, it was the first time uh, anybody, and you know, credit Kurt Siadmak, the guy who wrote that movie, yeah. with uh, finding a way to extend the life of the universal monsters that were created in the '30s by hey, let's cram two of them in the movie together, and then of course they just kept ramping that up in the next couple of years with the the house of Frankenstein and house of Dracula films where it's like, Hey, let's throw in a hunchback and let's throw, <laughs> let's throw in just about anything that we can think of to think of. We can do, we can, we can think of to throw into the film. Yeah, and of course talk- this movie has that as well, you know? Yeah. You know, have people today talk a lot about shared universe with, you know, different characters, but man, that, that it goes that far back. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was definitely that, that was, you know, it, it was, do- it was done organically. It was just a question of, Oh, how do we, you know, how do we keep this thing going? How do we mm-hmm. keep this, you know, money making thing going? And, you know, Kurt Siadamak throws out the idea. And so the producers at Universal just go, yeah, 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 go write that. Well, <laughs> that that informs this movie and that very thing informs, oh, man, who knows how many movies after the fact. I mean, 
it's you know, the, the, there are a lot of easy films to point to, and it's like, oh, the Monster Squad. Yeah, exactly. The Monster mm-hmm. Squad wouldn't exist without Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. It's that whole idea. But lots of other movies are on that same are on that same uh, timeline. And uh, of course, this one, this one, uh, <laughs> this one's kind of crazy. <laughs> Uh, when you when, when you when you can't uh, when you can't shoot the entire script and you have to start and stop and you end up with a couple of different directors, the movie's going to be uh, an odd mixture. Yeah. So for me, the rest of the cast, too, I was totally like it. I, I didn't recognize any of them. You know, you oh, had, really? Uh, yeah. Oh. No, none, none of these other people. Well, I didn't recognize any of them. OK, well, let me clue you in. There's some there's some important names here and I'll try to do this okay. quickly so that I don't freak everybody out. The uh, the other alien, the female alien, uh, Maleva, mm-hmm. uh, and the character's name is Maleva Kernstein, which is once again Nashi playing with the old the whole Karnstein name, but not mm. really using it. So yeah. you get you get a little bit of that uh, you get a little bit of that uh, old vampire flavor just by the use of a similar name. It's played mm. by an actress, a German actress named Karen Dorr. Now she, besides being absolutely gorgeous, is also a mm. super, super talented lady who. Uh, had this very long career starting in the fifties making what, what, what she's best known for is she was kind of, she was the darling of what are, what are known as the crimi films, these crime movies made in Germany that were generally adaptations of these crime novels. Uh, she was in quite a few of them. And oh, wow. if you can see, if you can see any of them, they're all a blast. I mean, they're all fun. They're all twisty, turny. Uh, they're the kind of films that, um, that kind of segued into becoming what the giallo film came afterwards, but they're, they're a little bit more playful than giallos. Mm, okay. And so uh, if you, you know, if you can ever get a chance to see some of, some of those movies that she was in, even the ones that she wasn't in, I mean like the forger of London, uh, the terrible people. Uh, I mean, there's just all kinds of these movies that she made in the, in the sixties and there's room 13 is, is excellent, is excellent and a really good, uh, a really good example, The Strangler of Blackmore Castle. Uh, oh, which, I've seen that one. There you go. She's in that. She's also in the uh, the face of Fu Manchu and the the first of the Christopher Lee Fu Manchu films made there in the okay. 60s as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know, when, when you see a t- when you see a title like The Sinister Monk, if <laughs> that doesn't entice you to see it. <laughs> Uh, you, you, come on, man. But you're course, in the wrong genre. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, playing, you're playing around in the wrong field. Now, of course, one of the one of the big things that uh, uh, she she probably will pop up on some people's radar because she was also in You Only Live Twice, the James Bond film in '67. So okay, yeah, I definitely saw that one too. But yeah, oh, now that you mentioned yeah, that Blackmore Castle one, yeah, I have seen that one. Yep, that's a German film, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that I is so, one of the, yeah. that's one of the German German crimmies of the of the 60s and all of those are worth your time. Now, the uh the quote-unquote hero character of the film who is uh, Inspector Toberman uh, is played by uh, an actor named Craig Hill. Now, he was an American actor who uh who started out being in uh having roles in things like All About Eve and Detective Story and The Black Shield of Fallworth. And then as his career kind of started to wind down in the early 60s, he moved to Europe and started making movies there. So he ends up in a lot of really interesting spaghetti westerns in the 60s and the 70s. 
But some of my favorite stuff that he did, some of the uh, the thrillers that he made in the seventies, uh, some giallos around the around the around the the seventies, things like uh, the Bloodstained Shadow and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, that sounds good. <laughs> oh yeah, it's actually it, it it is actually quite quite a good little film and and well worth checking out. But uh, he's one of those guys who was just a rock solid actor and and you know, wanted a better career than, you know, than Hollywood was letting him have in the sixties. And it was like, you know, he was, his, his, he was starting to only really be able to book to get work in uh television series in the early sixties. And he was just like, Oh, you know what? I think I'll just, I'll go to Europe and then immediately start starring in, you know, three to four movies a year. So uh mm-hmm. good move for him and uh, certainly did work out for him. I mean, he, he ended up, uh, having a much longer career and finding uh, and finding a, a wonderful wife that he was with for a very long time. But uh, the joys of Craig Hill is that he's an American. He uh, he, he uh, often dubbed his own voice. So everything when, when when you're looking at him on screen, we're talking about how weird the dubbing can be. Craig Hill always looks great in these things. So that's a big plus. Now, uh I'm not. I'm not going to go crazy here. I'll just. I'll just go. I'll just go one more. One more deep, and that is the lovely and wonderful Patty Shepard, who plays uh, Ilsa Sternberg, the the uh, very peppy, <laughs> very mm-hmm. peppy character in this film, who uh, is is pretty much there to uh, entice Inspector Toberman and to also uh, kind of be the uh, damsel in distress to a certain degree. Patty Shepard is wonderful. She is. Uh, well, she she was. She she was an American as well, uh, but she moved to Spain when she was about 18 and ended up being a model and then moving into a career in film. And, of course, I know her primarily as as someone who uh, had some really juicy roles in some Paul Nashi movies, this being the first. But she's uh, she she's great in this, but she's she's spectacular in the next Valdemar Donitsky film that she was in because she plays the vampire villainess in a movie called uh, the werewolf versus the vampire woman. Uh, mm. She's the, vamp- she's the vampire woman. Mm. And she is absolutely wonderful in that. As a matter of fact, she's wonderful in anything you're going to see her in. She made a lot of movies in uh, Spain and around Europe. Uh, she even ended up in some American films that were shot in Spain, like uh, the Western uh, in 1973 called a man called noon. Uh, but the uh, she's, Beautiful, talented, and somebody who, once again, you could always count on. She's uh, she's one of those people who, as soon as you know, to be to be blunt, as soon as I know she's in a movie, I'm trying to track that movie down because I know there's going to be at least one thing worth watching in that movie. Well, and we were saying earlier too, like there are certain you know things you're going to see in you know Spanish horror and especially Nashi films. One thing we forgot to mention is beautiful women. You will oh, yeah. always have them in those films every time. <laughs> and, and and one of the things is uh, a, a brief explanation of uh, this period of time from the late 60s to about the mid 70s is a period of time known as the golden age of Spanish horror. And it's kind of distinct from the uh, the, the the period of th- that same period of time uh, films that were being made in other countries in Europe, like Italy, especially because Spain was kind of its own weird thing. Uh, because during that period of time, when there was this great flowering flowering of uh, horror films being produced in Spain, it was still a country living under a dictatorship. 
So there was a lot of censorship. And the reason that a lot of the Spanish horror movies, the monster movies that they were, that were made during that period of time are the way they are, is they were having to be very careful and couch things in certain specific ways. And so uh, one of the things that uh, they even had to do beyond just being careful about you know, the, the subject matter in general is that one of the, the big selling points for any exploitation film then or now, of course, is uh, just what exploitable elements are within it. And one of the big things, especially in the 70s, was going to be a certain amount of nudity. But in Spain, that was verboten. You could not have Spanish cinemas, big 40-foot screens with nudity on them. That was not something that the dictatorship allowed to happen. So they would shoot the scenes that involved nudity twice, once with the nudity and once without it. And in Spain, it would be shown with the clothing on. And in the rest of the world, you would get the nude version. Mm. These days, a lot of the video releases of these films will include the, the film that you'll watch. Uh, you'll, you, you'll, you'll watch the version that was released to the rest of the, to the rest of the world that has nudity. And then sometimes as a, as a supplement, they will include the alternate clothed versions of those scenes. And you can see what the Spanish audience saw. So it's really kind of fascinating that that's just one of the weirder things. Believe me, there's a host of weird things to talk about <laughs> that these, that these filmmakers had to, had to do to get these films made because they were working under a dictatorship until uh, the mid seventies when general Franco, pa- you know, finally passed away and things started to change. Uh, and, uh, it kind of, strangely enough, the, uh, the, the death of a dictator did kind of, uh, forever alter the, the kinds of horror movies and, and really the kind of movies that were being made in Spain. And it kind of killed the golden age of Spanish horror, but those years as they exist, man, they pumped out a whole lot of re- really interesting and very strange movies. Yeah, I can't imagine being a filmmaker and having to worry about uh, ticking off a dictator or one of his minions and, you know, ending up in, you know, with cement shoes and thrown in the river. <laughs> no, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to submit scripts. Uh, the, how, how, the ideas, it was it, it was there was a lot of stuff that had to be done. It was bizarre. Yeah, that's wild. But all right. So I'm just going to like uh, just give a, a general thing here. Like on IMDb, it says about this film, it says. An alien scientist and his team are sent to Earth from their dying planet to exterminate the human population by unleashing monsters like vampires, werewolves, and mummies in order to inherit the Earth. And, you know, that's 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 pretty good, but there's a lot to unpack uh, on top of that. But that's actually kind of what the movie is all about. You know, just, if you want to just give it a one-sentence one thing there, that's that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, if you want to shrink the film down to, you know, just like a, like a the, you know, back of a postcard, that's pretty much correct. Yeah, that, that, that'll give you what you're looking for. Now, if you read that and don't think too hard about it, your first thought's going to be, well, that's kind of weird. But the more you think about it, the weirder it becomes. Because <laughs> when you realize, okay, wait a minute. So we're starting the movie right up front with aliens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what is their big plan? Their plan is to revive these monsters, these legendary monsters and use the monsters to terrorize the population of the planet (laughs) in such a way that the aliens can then take control of the planet. Now, if this sounds a whole lot like uh, the plot for for a very strange Saturday morning cartoon series, you're about right. Cause 
it's it's there's the the the, the secret to a good plan is how many things can go wrong. <laughs> this plan builds things that can go wrong into things that can go wrong into things that can go wrong. It's like a nesting doll of problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, you really think like four monsters are going to terrorize the entire Earth? What are you going to do, have a Learjet for them to just hop from country to country or what? <laughs> well, see, that, that when, when you learn that one of the things that got dropped is that, they, you know, the whole idea was to like create like an army of Frankenstein monsters <laughs> and to create an army of vampires that they could, you know, that they could control, that, you know, they were going to be able to control. It's like, okay, well, I, okay, 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 hold on. So if you've got like a battalion of Frankenstein monsters, unstoppable beasts that you could just unleash on, a, you know, a, a city. Oh, okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe we got something there. But the movie never is able to communicate the whole, you know, we're going to replicate these suckers. So the whole idea almost seems to, as you watch the movie, simply be, let's just grab, let's just grab <laughs> these four or five monsters and then see what happens. <laughs> it doesn't work out particularly well for them. Now, uh, I did forget to mention now uh, the movie poster. Wow. Excellent poster. And it actually oh, yes. conveys like exactly what you're going to see in this movie. Uh, it is one of my favorite movie posters of all time. I would love to have a print of this one. Oh, it's classic. It's it's beautiful, beautiful image. And yeah, you're right. I've got a few uh, I've got a few pieces of uh, ad art. Po, you know, movie posters uh, from Nashi films framed on the wall, but I've never been able to get, I, I can, I can get a, uh, you know, they're, they're reproductions, but I've never been able to get an original of that. I'd love to have one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's like a, Oh man. I couldn't even imagine finding an original one like that. Yeah. It's incredible. I don't know who the artist was, but it's, Oh, I can't remember. Fun. I think I used to know and now whew, oh, lost, yeah. lost to the midst of my brain. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's awesome. So definitely look that one up, but yeah. So like you said, the movie kind of starts out with these aliens, you know, inhumanized, like in either inhuman form or occupying human bodies. You know, we see our buddy there, uh, Michael Rennie and, uh, He's, I'm sorry, Dr. Odo Warnoff, and he's uh, walking around with Maleva, and they're kind of talking about how they need to, you know, subjugate these humans. And it's like a traveling circus they're at. Am I correct? <laughs> I know. They're, they're just walking around this, this carnival or traveling circus. And of course, they're as part of the displays in this traveling circus. What happens to be there? Oh my goodness, could that be a monster? <laughs> It's 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 like a it's like a scene lifted directly from House of Frankenstein, where where, you know, the 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 traveling circus has the supposed corpse of Dracula kept kept in stasis by a, a wooden a wooden stake through its heart. Mm -hmm. And of course, as soon as you see that, you're just like, OK, so when are they going to pull the stake out? You know, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. so. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's exactly that. This this is yet another instance of. Monster movie fan Paul Nashi going exactly for something that he loved as a kid and inserting mm -hmm. it into his story. And it's, of course, in this movie and in this script, the way this 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 production is not one of the best examples of one of his scripts making it to screen. But you can still because because like because unfortunately, of course, you can see all of the seams. I mean, this is an obvious thing where if you've seen House of Frankenstein, you're immediately going to go, oh, that's where that's from. But. It's, I mean, that, that's it should be better integrated into a story instead of right up front and so, you know with almost like a neon sign pointing downward, going, <laughs> "Hey, have we all seen that movie?" <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but this is a monster fan putting together 
the monster mash movie that he wanted to see when he was a kid. And sadly, unfortunately, although big chunks of it do work, you know, the, the production problems definitely kept it from becoming what I'm sure he hoped it would be. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure he was disappointed with the end product. Like you said, he was, you know, promised yeah. a lot of, a lot of money and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And a lot of things didn't get done and stuff ended up on that cutting room floor. So it kind of probably was disappointing for him, but I don't know. Again, it was, it's fun. So, Oh, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. And he, yeah. I mean, th- this experience, this experience uh, made, made him become very, very careful that he was, uh, he was in better control of just how things got done for later films. And it, and it definitely shows but the thing is, this 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 film, as crazy as it is, is still just so much fun because it is. If you're if you're a monster mm-hmm. fan, if you're if you're that kind of person, man, does this one just dense pack them in there? Yeah, you can I, literally I, watch watch this movie and for the first hour hour and fifteen minutes be like, well, okay. But it, it the payoff in the end, like you and I talked about, <laughs> yes, is just exactly. It, it, it is excellent, but yeah, uh, one of my favorite bits, though, uh, again, three, literally three, three and a half minutes into the movie after they're talking about how they're going to appropriate this uh, uh, vampire skeleton and, you know, pull the stake out. And uh, Dr. Warnoff says to Maleva, like, I think we need to distract these people so we can uh, take that stake out. And, you know, <laughs> OK, OK. How is a beautiful woman going to distract some, you know, horny guy? Well, the next thing you know, the two of them end up in bed somehow. Let me guess. Yes. <laughs> and then the snake gets pulled out and the snake gets put into the carney's back. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. And then, you know, here we go. Here comes the vampire to life. So, okay, we got our one monster already. We have the, the vampire and then. The police, they're just hilarious in this film. <laughs> their oh, the lines police. and their the dialogue back and forth. Oh, my God. <laughs> there, there comes a point when you realize that this this the, the dialogue between the cops, some of it feels really. Remember, people, we're talking about the English dub of this. There's a there's a there's a whole lot of difference between the English language version of this and and the the, the, the some other some other language of this. If you were watching it in subtitles, but the English dub, these characters sometimes come off as you know coworkers who enjoy like messing with each other a little bit, <laughs> but sometimes the dialogue comes off like somebody was just randomly picking dialogue up off the floor and go, okay, say this. Mm-hmm. And it's it it doesn't um, let's just say that the least interesting parts of this film all revolve around Inspector Toberman, the Craig Hill character. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's because this isn't really a police procedural. So the time we're spending with him, unless Patty Shepard is in the scene with him, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't really care. I don't really care at all. Let's, let's let's get back to the monsters because we're still trying to gather the monsters. They're traveling all over the world. They're going to Egypt to find a mummy. You mm. know they're. They're, they're, you know, the, the, oh, well, I actually, I actually have to say, but strangely enough, although I'll warn you right now, if you get the urge and go out and start buying up the uh, Paul Nashi werewolf movies and start trying to watch them, if your thought is, hey, I want to watch these, it's clearly the same character. I want to watch these in some kind of order. You can just throw that right out the window. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because although there is, uh, there is uh, some, way to kind of pretend that when one movie starts it's after a previous film you don't really have to worry about that because these movies range all over the place but this movie starts with our werewolf character being resurrected through surgery because (laughs) they removed the silver bullet from his heart 
that was keeping him there. Mm-hmm. Which I, I I like that. Those are this is a great idea. It's it's a, it's an idea that Nashi plays with uh, a couple of different way a couple of different ways a couple of different times when he mm-hmm. was making uh, his uh, his nine or so Valdemar Daninsky werewolf movies. And mm-hmm. it's a great idea because of course the it's the silver bullet that keeps the the werewolf dead. Remove it, much like the stake from the vampire's heart, and boom, you got a werewolf again. But it's such a weird combination. It's this, and you can see what he was going for, right? I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to combine supernatural monsters and science. Mm-hmm. So you have this sequence where they're doing the surgery and removing the the silver bullet from the heart, and creepily enough, they include some actual surgical footage. So be aware of that weirdness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know you've got you've got your werewolf henchman who now is being forced to help them go to, you know, go to Egypt and get a mummy and go here, there mm-hmm. and yon. And, uh, Oh, by the way, there was going to be a, there was going to be at least one other monster in this movie. They just didn't have the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought I was reading about that. What is it? A, a golem? A golem. They were going to do a golem and uh, <laughs> it, it did not work out. Uh, the start and stop production uh, kind of nixed a whole lot of uh, of things that did not end up in the finished film, and uh, which is which which is a real shame. But then again, at this point, it's like, how many more monsters do we need? Because in that throwdown at the end, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a you know monster you know. One monster is going to take all to a degree. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so when we get around to, uh, okay, it's not the Frankenstein monster. <laughs> let's, let's, let's let's be careful. We don't we 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 don't want to say uh, that it's the Frankenstein monster because in the movie the name they actually use is and I'm getting I'm going to take a shot at pronouncing this name. Okay, uh, I, I will I will fail. I will I will attempt. <laughs> I will fail, but I'm going to give this a shot. Okay, it's uh, Farron. See, I've already blown it. Faring <laughs> Salem, something like that. In other words, it starts with an F and has multiple syllables, but isn't Frankenstein. And you just better believe that it's not Frankenstein because we do not want to get sued by Universal. Yeah, except it, it did look you, pretty close, though. Except, except that it's the worst. OK, the Frankenstein monster makeup is the worst makeup in the film. It it's is terrible. It's yeah. awful. It's very uh, generic looking. Yeah, it's very generic looking of all the monsters. Yeah, he is the most generic looking. And didn't Nashi say at some point too, whoever the guy was that did the makeup kind of sucked? Uh, yes, he was flat out. <laughs> he was flat out. He was not messing around because that's one of the things. That's another thing that Nashi never let happen again. <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> okay, wait a minute. We had good makeup in the first one, and this one, it's for crap. We're not letting mm-hmm. this happen again. So yeah. uh, from there on there was a level of control over the makeup from there on out. I mean, he had, there were some really great people he worked with after this who did excellent jobs. And some, some of the, some of the werewolf makeups that he was able to get in some of his later films are top of the line. But mm-hmm. yeah, even the werewolf makeup in this, which I'll give you is passable. It's mm-hmm. the weakest. It's the weakest of his, of all of his makeups and in, 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 in any of his films. And it's, and it's, Kind of sad, but even even worse is that Frankenstein monster. But the the vampire looks fine, although mm-hmm. he's, he's they don't call him Dracula for some reason. I don't know if I don't know that anybody was like standing around going to sue them for using the word Dracula, but they don't they don't call him Dracula. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking about before we started recording, this movie sports one of the most impressive mummy makeups in the history of film. Mm. It's yes, it's. 
gorgeous. This the mummy in this movie. Well, first of all, weirdly enough, they do something that I talk. It certainly wasn't done uh, before this to any any real effect. It's a female mummy. And not that that factors into anything in the movie. It just gives the, the, the creature a slightly different look. And the makeup choices, everything from the face to the wrappings to the to the to the creepy, the creepy way their hand, the hands look everything. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great mummy. So pretty good werewolf. Really good mummy. OK, Dracula. Terrible Frankenstein monster. <laughs> if you're keeping a scorecard, believe me, that's how you're going to feel too. So, yeah, to me, the mummy, I mean, the part where they go to resurrect the mummy is really creepy. Now, again, yes. on the Blu ray, I'm sure it looks fantastic. If you watch like a, a version online anywhere, it's very dark, but it is super creepy. And yep. just the other actors that are on the set there, when that mummy comes out of that, uh, coffin you know or sarcophagus i guess you would say it it creeps them out like their reaction to seeing this mummy like it scares the crap out of them and they do a great job of relaying how creepy this monster is it's kind of amazing it's it's mm-hmm. that's what we that's what i'm talking about people this movie is in parts fantastic in other parts not fantastic but when it is fantastic, it is on fire. And yeah, the mummy resurrection scene is is just it's a it's it's one of the best scenes in the movie. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I did for want to mention too that the way they're controlling, uh, you know, the werewolf is they have some kind of serum or whatever to kind of control him that you know uh, he can't just change whenever he feels like it. Kind of, I think that's the way that how it's explained. Yeah, they're kind. They're kind of. They're trying to. They're. They've, they've essentially found a way to kind of. It's. It's part of the control they're. They're. They're exerting over him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they. I forgot to mention as well. They have the. You know, they are holed up in this crazy old castle, like you would see in one of the Universal <laughs> or Hammer films too. I don't know where they're just like. With a mad scientist out, lab, yeah. Yes, yeah, so scouting out locations, or if it's a, an Airbnb, they just took over or something. But this really cool castle. They have all this tech and equipment in there, torture devices like, you know, electronic ones. And it's really wild. But, yeah, they have, you know, Nashi's locked up, you know, the werewolf. And then this, you know, the, the hot woman there uh, is at the Ilsa, Ilsa Sternberg uh-huh. is giving them these injections to kind of, you know, keep them. Keep oh, them oh, you up. mean uh, it's, it's Maleva. It's the character play. It's the uh, it's the it's the character played by Karen Dorr, the German actress. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Because Ilsa is the one that uh, goes for the inspector. That's right. Yeah. yeah. She's the she's the good girl. Yeah. Yeah, somehow she, the inspector, you know, quite the professional, ends up in bed with one of the, you know, suspects here. It's like <laughs> another, another, again, another wild part of this movie. You just gotta. Like, uh, yes, chuckle. let's just keep, let's just keep complicating things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, policeman sleeping with, you know, shady characters that he's supposed to be, you know, maybe, you know, arresting down the road. Now nah, let's just jump in bed with him. It's just. <laughs> I was about to say, you're suddenly reminding me of like 400 erotic thrillers made in the early 90s. <laughs> uh, she, she could be the murderer, uh, but wow, she's 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 naked and she's waving her hand at me. Mm-hmm. And, oh, jeez. Is she the? I don't right now care that she's the murderer, I guess. She's probably she's probably not the murderer. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah, he's like, she's only a suspect. I don't know that she really did anything. 
I mean, you know, yeah, we found her covered in the victim's blood and screaming, Mm -hmm. die, die, die. But that's not proof. That's not proof at all. Well, then at one point, too, like we said, Michael Rennie's character, he is like brutal, man. He catches uh, who is it in in bed together? Is it his two both of his assistants? Yeah, it's it's two of the other aliens. And, And of course. This 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 being a, uh, a alien creatures controlling the, the 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 corpses of the recently dead human beings so that they can move around amongst us and and pretend <laughs> to be uh, pretend to be us. Uh, the 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 problem that they they that eventually turns out to be surprise, surprise, just like every story ever written about this kind of thing <laughs> is that as, if you if you're a human long enough, those pesky emotions start to get in the way. And of course, how do those pesky emotions start start flaming up and showing themselves? Oh, that would be the uh, love, the desire for for uh, love and affection. And what was horny. The word? they got oh. horny. They oh, it's horny. sex. Yeah, the word is sex. Of course, <laughs> they get horny. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he. He sees them because he's got the whole place wired with TV cameras, I guess. So he sees the two of them in a sack together yep. and he sends in the Frankenstein monster to kill the guy. I know. It's crazy. And he just like the guy's laying there naked and they, the door flies open and he's like, uh, uh oh. And the monster just comes over and just throttles him. <laughs> this did not work out the way he intended. Yes. Yeah, I, I hope it was good because it was the last thing that happened. It's so, the last thing that happened to this poor guy. Yeah, it's like people always say, like, what a way to go. So I guess he, he got his wish. <laughs> <laughs> too funny. But yeah, and then another thing I thought was funny, too. It's like it seems like uh, my, Dr. Warnoff has, you know, complete control over the Frankenstein monster. He's kind of got, you know, uh, Nashy, you know, uh, Valdemar Daninsky uh, is subdued. Yep. But the vampire guy seems like he's just got the run of the castle and he's just running amok and keeps trying to hypnotize all the women. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like they're just keeping they're keeping him around with yeah. with with a with a leash that's just a little too long and they're not really keeping an eye on him and it's, and it's like, you know, you you keep a vampire around and they're going to do vampire stuff. You got to really mm-hmm. think about this. And yeah, 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 that's you're right. I I think part of that the idea seems to be that uh vampires are a little more difficult to control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can you can uh, ratchet you can ratchet uh, the reluctant werewolf. The you know where that's the the beauty of the werewolf characters. The werewolf never really wants to be a werewolf. You know, he's he's cursed. He mm-hmm. does not want to be the slavering hairy monster that that rips people apart. Tries to you know rip their throats out and kill them. Mm-hmm. But you got your you got your basic vamp, and although that is a that is a theme that can be played with with vampires in general, vampires are just slavering monsters who are trying to get blood to live. And so keeping a vampire around, you you know, you best either lay in a supply of blood or just expect to lose a couple of cast members. So Yeah, I mean, they're not usually pawns. They're usually are using the other monsters as pawns, so maybe he wasn't liking these aliens trying to use him as a pawn, I guess. Hey, you know. Get get in the way get in the way of, of of Victor Von Doom and expect Latveria to come clash, crashing down upon your head and that's essentially <laughs> what they should have known going in. It's like don't, don't be careful, guys. Be very careful. Yeah. So I mean, as the movie goes on, the the aliens just like you said, they start to become more human. Except for I don't really see that much with uh, Michael Rennie's character, but the rest of them start you know going off the deep end and then. The monsters kind of all just start running amok. And then again, the last 10, 15 minutes of this movie are gold because you literally get these monsters in like this all out brawl. 
and, and it's, is down in, it's down in this uh it's down in these wonderful old catacombs mm-hmm. these i mean which are i mean first of all creepy setting to begin with real place everything looks great lit mm-hmm. mostly i mean it lit by firelight you've got torches you've got you've got these uh these weird uh torture devices down there i mean you've got everything you need in this this subterranean uh, dungeon to to just ratchet the the gothic beauty all the way up and it's monster fight time you know mm-hmm. yeah oh man and like again the mummy steals the show for me oh incredible scenes there yes it's like i say the 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 one thing that was always missing from and this is this is a sad thing to say uh i am a bit of a, a fan of the universal mummy movie. i'm a fan of mummy movies in general and i know that that makes me uh weird that's the best word for it really really <laughs> really kind of weird but one of the things that was always missing from those monster rally films that Universal made in the 1940s was that they the one monster they never included. I mean, they'll, they'll go out of their way to include a stinking hunchback, but they never include the mummy. <laughs> Not once. <laughs> no, never, never. No, they he, never did. Never did. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I try not to feel slighted for the poor mummy. You know, I feel I, I try not to feel I mean, he had, you know, there were four mummy movies that Universal made in the 1940s, all, you know, where he's the star. He's the he's the he's the he's the diva. He gets to play around. But, hey, he couldn't have thrown a bone and had him in, you know, House of Frankenstein or House of Dracula. He couldn't have him running around doing something in the back, something, anything at all. But no, mm-hmm. they didn't. So here, luckily, this movie mm-hmm. decades later gives us werewolf versus mummy fight. And mm. brother, it is awesome. Yeah, it's crazy good. And I mean, the I, I will say uh, the vampire gets killed a little too easily for my liking. I, I would, I, I would, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, he he didn't put up much of a fight. He got killed by the the horny cop like pretty easily. So I was just like, well, up until that point, he was being creepy and trying to kill people and hypnotize them and stuff, and he was pretty cool. But then, yeah, he got killed pretty quickly. It's it's sad because it's almost like they wanted to get that character out of the way because they knew where the juice was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, we got to get this werewolf and this mummy in a brawl. And it, uh, don't get me wrong, fine choice, but man, I, yeah, you're right. They, there there should have been a little bit more. They they could have spent another couple of screen minutes just letting the the vampire, uh, you know, taunt or 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 fight back. So, something going on there. But yeah, you're yeah, you're right. You're right. It's it's not uh, it's not where it needs to be. Yeah, and then after the you know mummy and werewolf fight, we get the werewolf and the Frankenstein monster fight, which is pretty cool too. And again, this is all happening in this the, either the catacombs or then in the crazy lab where there's you know the mad scientist equipment all around and everything. Yeah. It's just oh another good crazy good fight. It's 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 good stuff, and it, like I say, it brings the film to this incredible action filled monster battle crescendo that you know it basically it it leaves you smiling. No matter how confused or or frustrated or or just plain puzzled by things you might have been watching in the first hour, you get to that last act and when it goes crazy, it, you're just, hey, man, I'm glad I brought the popcorn. This is great. Mm-hmm. And then you do get the scene with the cop showing up at the end there with their megaphone yelling at the castle, like, get out here. You're all under arrest. And then, you know. And then kaboom. the castle blowing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah kaboom. <laughs> so that's too funny. But yeah, but yeah, like you said, man, that last, you know, scenes for sure, they make it more than worth it. And again, there's so many elements during it as well, just to either like or chuckle at or just, you know, really. You could tell Nashi, like you said, was really trying to act out all his 
you know, uh, monster fantasies in this film, which is that's great when you think about it through that lens as well. Well, the the joy of this is this is of a piece. It's it's not it's not the best of these movies by 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 a long stretch, but it will give you an idea. Even just hearing us talk about it will give you an idea of how out of his way Nashy would go to make monster movies. And you got to understand, he wasn't he wasn't specifically making horror movies. He was making monster movies. That's a subset of horror movies, and not mo not not, not a lot of people were making monster movies at that time horror movies yes lots of horror movies you could you couldn't you couldn't swing a dead human being <laughs> without hitting <laughs> a horror movie being made in europe in the early 70s it's just mm-hmm. you were gonna they were they were all over the place but specifically movies that were monster films that had the you know the classics a werewolf a vampire mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the frankenstein monster a mummy these were not the norm but they were exactly the kinds of films that Paul Nashie wanted to make. He grew up a monster kid, and that's what he wanted to make. Uh, I mean, it's pure chance that I mean he he had to work his butt off to get this thing done. And like I say, this having you know, <laughs> this having several monsters in it is a good indicator for what you'll see in some of his other movies. We I talked earlier about the movie that he made before this. The Mark of the Werewolf, uh, also known as Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Well, that's not just a werewolf movie. There are two vampires in that thing, mm-hmm. and it, it, so you, you you basically got multiple monsters in that movie. Later on, he would end up, man, making some really great movies that revolve around this werewolf <clears> character, <throat> including some of the some of the more interesting ones. Uh, like I've already mentioned, the vampire, uh, the the uh, werewolf versus the vampire woman. Mm-hmm. So obviously, once again, werewolf and vampires. But he also made Doctor Jekyll meets the Wolfman, mm-hmm. which is, which, which, which hey, there's a combination. <laughs> How did nobody make that combination before this crazy <laughs> Spaniard? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. And, and and they do it in the early '70s, and it is truly glorious. So mm-hmm. even in just quote unquote just the werewolf movies, you're not just getting a werewolf. He's throwing extra monsters in there because the whole idea behind these is you, you, you're the, these supernatural creatures. They they you're not gonna his, his vision of it is if this supernatural creature exists, surely others do as well, and surely in some way they would be attracted to each other. There's something about it. There's some supernatural thing that would draw them together, and. Mm-hmm. Those those werewolf movies are a blast. And the thing is, uh, you could go, you, you could go and have a massive movie festival, uh, a Paul Nashie film festival, and uh, watch several great horror movies that he made, monster movies even, and mm-hmm. still not watch any of the werewolf movies because he wanted to make everything under the sun. He loved these things. He made a mummy movie uh, mm-hmm. called the, uh, the Mummy's Revenge, which is also mm-hmm. fantastic. Yep, that's a good one. Oh, it's it's absolutely wonderful. Another uh, great uh, Blu-ray is available of that, where it's just this great Victorian story of uh, we we've always referred to the mummy in that movie as the the head smashing mummy because if he didn't like you, that's just what he does. Your head your head gets smushed, and uh, it's 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 a shame for anybody near you because they're gonna get splattered a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but he also made. Uh, Crazy. Well, first of all, the first stopping point for almost anybody, if you're really curious about Paul Nashie, would be uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb, mm-hmm. which is 
if I've watched that movie once, I swear I've watched it 50 times. It's <laughs> my, it's mind bending. Uh, it mm-hmm. is everything, but the kitchen sink and the kitchen sink might just be lurking around the corner. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just an astonishing piece of work that is, uh, it, 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 you never know which way it's going to jump and it will keep you riveted the entire time. It's, it's amazing. And then you've got other things like the hunchback of the morgue, which, uh, he wanted, he, he even won an acting award for his performance in that as the, as the, the titular hunchback, which is just this super, it's this super creepy film about a, a, a poor benighted character who were, you know, works in a morgue and is, 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 uh, in love with this woman who passes away near the beginning of the film and is, and is, uh, messed with by a mad scientist who's lying to him and telling him that he can bring this woman back to life if he'll just help him with his mad scientist game. And it was <laughs> just other crazy stuff. There are all these movies. Mm-hmm. And then there are even the werewolf movies. I, uh, if you're the least bit curious about Paul Nash, you're you're living in interesting times because the past five years or so, a lot of his movies come out on Blu-ray, and you can get them for really good prices. He played Dracula in a film too, but man, he's one of the weirder looking Draculas because he's built like a weight, <laughs> he's built like a weightlifter because he was a weightlifter. So yeah, he's not, a big guy. Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a a, a championship weightlifter, and uh, so he's got that build. He's a he's a, a thick chested, muscular dude, and so perfect for a werewolf, but a little weird for Count Dracula. But even his Count Dracula film is worth seeing. And I mean, listen, you can. There's he did a zombie movie. I've seen that yeah. one. That was kind of wild too. I thought that was neat. He was. I I liked what he was going for there, and then it. It doesn't get any crazier than, uh, you know, Nashi versus a Yeti there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that oh, movie yeah, is crazy. And I loved it. Night of the Howling Beast. <laughs> oh, yes. That, well, in that one, he got to not just, you know, indulge his uh, Monster Mash love, but also a little bit of the, the Republic serial idea uh, mm-hmm. wrapped around, uh, you know, some of the some of the action stuff in there. And then you've got, uh, you know, witches who curse the character and turn him into a werewolf. It's just it's. It's it's a it's an amazing film, yeah. That was uh, that was one of my very first Paul Nashy films. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was my first Paul Nashy film that I saw on VHS tape mm-hmm. way back whew, thirty years ago. My God, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's one that just immediately made me a fan because it's uh, if you've only heard about this stuff, uh, wh- whichever the first one you see is going to be the one that's going to be you know probably the make or break until somebody talks you into a different one if you didn't enjoy it. And by the time you see, you've seen that movie with all of the craziness that's going on there. And yet it tells, I mean, it, it's not crazy like this where you're wondering what's happening. It's crazy just because it has all these weird elements and it's still moving forward <laughs> and, and working as a story. It's like, Oh my God, how did they manage this? But the, uh, the joys of, uh, going through Paul Nash's horror movies is that uh, there are uh, quite a number of them. And yeah, you're right. He's, he's got, you're going to run into a Jamaican zombie film and you're going to mm-hmm. run into uh, Count Dracula and you're going to run into Dr. Jekyll and you're going to run into a mummy. You're going to run into a whole lot of different kinds of stuff. And he also mm-hmm. made some great thrillers as well. He made a great uh, rural giallo called uh, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, which is just top notch. Great, great mm-hmm. little thriller. Great thriller. Yeah, I have yet to see that one. I really want to see that one because I've heard you talk about it on several it's, occasions. It's good. It sounds great, yeah. It really is good, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's definitely one. So anybody out there, if you've not seen an Ashy flick, definitely watch one and do not get discouraged, whichever one it is you watch, because <laughs> it, it, it 
it, you will find something about that movie and then other movies because, like we said, mummies and vampires and werewolves for sure. Out werewolves out the wazoo. This one that has everything in it, like you will, <laughs> you will find something that you like about these films, even if it's only you know a few scenes. Like we said in this one too, that try this one out first because you know the first you know three quarters you might be like hot and cold about, but. You'll definitely be uh, excited about that last one with these uh, monsters going crazy at the end. That's that's got to catch you if you're a monster fan. Oh yeah, and uh, if you're uh, a more uh, if if you're more interested in uh, a serious horror movie from him or uh, a more serious uh, one would almost say uh, art house level uh, films from him, he did a number of those in the late '70s when uh, he was able to parlay his success into making more serious films. And I would highly recommend uh, these have just been released. Uh, these have been released on Blu-ray over here as well. Finally, uh, his film The Frenchman's Garden. Which is mm. a tr- which is a fact based story. Uh, it's still uh, still a bit of a horror movie, but it is very much uh, a fantastic uh, art house horror film. I would say more uh, mm. uh, more, more a, a story an historical drama that is also a bit of a horror movie. Okay. And if if you want something that is uh, absolutely art house, absolutely brilliant, and probably Frenchman's Garden and uh, is one of his best films. I mean, like the kind of film that you, you, once you've seen it, you'd think, man, Criterion is the, is, is it should have been putting this out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other one that I would put in that same category is probably his best film uh, in Spain. It was known as El Caminante, but the, uh, it was released over here. That, that means the wanderer or the traveler. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a, uh, a period piece about uh, what, a, what it, you're pretty sure, once you start, once you start, once you're into the story, that what you're watching is uh, the devil come down to earth to just roam around and cause trouble, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a period piece set during uh, the 15th century, and uh, it plays a lot like uh, plays a lot like uh, that the kind of thing where uh, Satan comes down to earth to see if, to see if he can entice people into uh going against god and, and doing mm. the doing the most selfish acts imaginable uh and you know by, by kind of leading the way and it is an absolutely an astonishingly brilliant film and one of the uh, one of the best things he ever made but like again if it's not uh, it's not like his monster movies it is very much an intelligent art house type of horror movie and uh, he got the chance to make a number of those while he was still occasionally making a werewolf movie here and there as well so yeah, that sounds wild. Um, it's great. It's great stuff. It uh, yeah. it's uh, it's uh, it, it was released on on Blu-ray over here as the Devil Incarnate. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to look that one up. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to see Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. I'm definitely gonna find that one because I got to see that one. That one sounds great. Oh, it's great, and it's it's in a you can get it on Blu-ray in a set with uh, four other movies, and in there is also. Hunchback of the Morgue. It's mm. from uh, it's from Scream Factory. It, it, the The set is uh, five Nashi films. Uh, it's the first of the Nashi sets that Scream Factory put out. It has uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. Um, oh darn, I'm blanking. <laughs> I'm blanking on what the other ones are in the set. Uh, and and that's terrible because I shouldn't be blanking because we did uh, three commentary tracks for three of the films of that five film set, and I cannot remember what the other films are off the top of my head. That's I was all. going, yeah, I yeah. was going to mention that as well. That you and your uh, partner Troy, you've uh, had the pleasure to do some commentary tracks on some of these. How fun was that? 
Oh, it, honestly, uh, it, it is fun. It was also mind-bendingly nerve-wracking. Uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, we got a call from uh, the label Mondo Macabro. We've been doing the podcast for quite some time, and of course, in the back of our minds had been the idea that you know you do a podcast on on something as niche as small as as unknown in general as Paul Nashi, uh, you know, Spanish horror filmmaker. You're not going to, you know, there's only so large an audience you can get. And then we get a call from a, uh, well, not a call. I mean, we're in the modern age. It was an email. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but you get an an email from uh, Mondo Macabro, and they're about to put out one of his, uh, one of his mid-70s period piece horror movies called Inquisition. And they asked us to do a commentary track, and we lost our minds. Mm. Uh, I immediately panicked and ran around like a chicken with his head cut off, and, <laughs> and uh, started started freaking out and thinking, "Oh man, we're gonna have to like we're gonna have to like f- buy time in a movie in, in like a, a real studio to record ourselves pro- properly." And and of course, my buddy Troy, who's a musician, just pat me, patted me on my head and let me calm myself down. And went, I think they know what we sound like on the show. I think we can do it the way we normally do this stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've done. Um, I have to admit, uh, I've ended up doing a number of commentary tracks now, both with Troy and with other folks, and I've lost track. But we've done a number of Paul Nashie films. We've done Inquisition, and uh, we did The Frenchman's Garden that I that I mentioned earlier. Um, we did uh, Howl of the Devil, which is this uh, kind of career, this this uh, kind of really impressive movie he made in the late '80s that uh, didn't even get released until it came out on Blu-ray over here just recently. Wow. Uh, but we also did uh, Hunchback of the Morgue, and we did Horror Rises from the Tomb. We did Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. <sighs> and I'm trying to remember some of the others. And that's the, see, that's that's the terrible thing is uh, once once you're once you're past it, it's it's something that just immediately evaporates from your brain. <laughs> uh, oh, hey, that's that's think about that. That's actually pretty cool. You've done so many, you can't remember oh, them all. That that's, a, that's did, cool. Uh, yeah, we did his. Uh, we did Beast of the Magic Sword, which is his amazing Valdemar Novinsky oh, werewolf yeah. movie in Japan, where it's uh, it's basically a werewolf versus a samurai. We, and, and well, also in that movie, you have werewolf versus a tiger. Um, man, <laughs> oh, Beast of the Magic Sword is just what a wonderful movie. We got to do a track for that too. Yeah, I have heard about that one too. I did hear that was one of his, you know, better ones too that people oh, really enjoy. So yeah, I got to so try that cool. one. It's so cool. Yes, awesome. All right, so we talked about Bloody Pit, and we talked about the Nashi cast. So let's transition to talking about a new podcast you're on. I mean, it's it's pretty new still. It's only, what, like maybe three months old? Wild, yeah, we, wild podcast? Yeah, we've been. I think we've done about eight episodes. And this is uh, – I'm really just kind of – I get to be the uh, the guest that comes in and, and, and wears the funny hat and just tries to talk about the movie. <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to do the heavy lifting on Wild Wild Podcast. Uh, that's pretty much Adrian's show, Adrian Smith, my, uh, my mm-hmm. British uh, co-host. It's actually his show. I'm just the guest, and it, it, it's, it's a joy. And uh, he set this thing up so that we can do uh, essentially – the first run of episodes we're doing is uh, focused on uh, Italian science fiction movies that involve space. Uh, in other words, you know, your, your, your typical guy in, a, guy in an astronaut suit, you know, rocket ships against star fields kind of stuff. That, that, mm-hmm. that has to be in the movie in some way. And so we're talking about uh, 10 of those. And uh, we've we've uh, yeah we put out the first eight of those. We cover it. We've covered things like uh, the, the brilliant Mario Bava film Planet of the Vampires and the oh, Nos- yeah. and then a number of not so brilliant movies as well. But 
it's it's fun though. It's a good show. You guys do a good job with that show. It's fun listening to, you know, a, a guy like you that's had all this, you know, Nashy and all this stuff. But both of you guys are huge into just you know the Euro cinema. No, no matter what the genre is, like you said, Jalo or just straight up horror and this that. You guys are really all about that. And huge, huge uh, fans of it, and also like you know students of. Uh, you know, historians and stuff like that too. So it's great hearing you two guys talk about that. And yeah, Planet of the Vampires. Oh man, if you have anybody hasn't seen that one, definitely see that film. It's excellent. Uh, yeah, that that is a truly great film. And then you have, you know, then we talk about Star Crash as well, which we love just <laughs> as much, but for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last couple you guys talked about were basically, you know, Star Wars uh, uh, imitators. I guess we can say. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would go so far as rip off, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> They were they, they were clearly made because of the success of Star Wars. That's true. Yeah, which you know, again, there was everybody was trying to jump on that bandwagon back in the late seventies and early eighties. Everybody. That, w- that was a good dollar for a little while there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No kidding. But uh, all right, my friend. So what's uh, what else do you have going on? Anything coming up you can uh, tell us about here? Oh my goodness. Um, trying to keep a, a trying to keep uh, different episodes. Trying to keep things juggling. Uh, a couple of my co-hosts who I let uh, I foolishly allow to pick f- certain films to talk about on the podcast <laughs> have, have talked me into covering the uh, 1980s weirdness film uh, Evil Speak. So that will be coming up sometime here. I'm hoping uh, October, November, something like that. Uh, okay. We've got uh, we've got another Sherlock Holmes film. Uh, uh, the next Sherlock Holmes film in the Universal series we'll be doing here very soon. Um Let's see. Uh, my occasional co-host and complete madman, the artist Ma- Mark Maddox. We just mm. did uh, a couple of episodes back to back. We just did uh, 1941, and uh, he he screamed bloody murder that he wanted to talk about Wild Wild Planet as well. So I covered Wild Wild Planet <laughs> on the Bloody Pit as well. I thought he was going to take my head off when he he thought he he thought that I had covered Wild Wild Planet without letting him talk about it. And I'm like, dude, that's somebody else's podcast. I'm just a guest on, and Wonderfully, he bought that and then allowed me to, to, to do that show with him. <laughs> yeah, well, anybody that doesn't know Mark, oh my gosh, that guy is an incredible artist. He has done magazine covers and I think DVD covers. He is just amazing. Have you seen the cover that he's done for the, you know, they're about to put uh, Kolshak, the Night Stalker, the TV series out on Blu-ray finally. Yes. His artwork oh. for the cover for that is mind-bendingly good. Yeah, he's he's one of those people you just you know he was born with a gift that none of us are ever going to have. It's just hey, he, he, he blows he was your born, mind. He was born with talent, but the secret to Mark is that he continues to work on his craft. I mm-hmm. know it. I've seen it. I know what he does. Yeah. I know the I know the the work he puts into it, and I know how much effort it takes. He's good because yeah, he, he's talented, but he's also worked very hard to reach that level. He's he's just he's great. Yep. Yeah, he very hardworking guy for sure, and super nice guy too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You're not you're not gonna find a nicer guy. Even though I do love just messing with him as much as I possibly can. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm sure he has a great sense of humor though, so he probably takes oh, it he, all in stride. He, he does. I mean, the fact the fact that he literally swore that he was gonna drive up from uh, drive up from uh, Florida and strangle me if we didn't talk about Wild Wild Planet <laughs> should give you an indicator. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. 
<sighs> All right. So if anybody's looking uh, for Rod, so we said, you know, go to your oh, podcatchers, your your Apple, uh, your you know Spotify, all those kind of things, and look for Bloody Pit, Nashy well, Cast, and Wild Wild yeah. Podcast. And uh, where else can anybody find you if they're looking for you? Well, the, a good jumping off page where you can find links to all of that stuff is uh, my uh, my blog, which, yes, mm-hmm. I know it's 2021, but it's yes, it's still a blog. Uh, it's it's called uh, <laughs> it's called the Bloody Pit of Rod. And yeah, you'll find uh, links to both uh, Nashicast and the Bloody Pit podcast just to the right of all of the crazy stuff that I post up there anyway. Uh, you'll also mm-hmm. find uh, posts about each one of the episodes of Wild Wild Podcast, and you'll just find all kinds of crazy stuff on there, including, uh, you know, poster art for James Bond movies that I find completely fascinating, or video links to weird movies that uh, somehow have popped up in good form or another on YouTube for no good reason whatsoever. There is no telling. I also have this ongoing death wish, which is that I keep track of every movie that I watch and then post it up monthly and, and make little comments out to the side on, on most of them anyway, kind of inviting, (laughs) inviting people into the weirdness that is my, I don't know, rotate, rotating list of whatever crazy thing pops into my head to watch next. So (laughs) it's, it's the, uh, the, the, the shows can all be found on the, the, the podcast can also be found, you know, Apple podcasts. You can, you can find them with a, with a simple search there. They're all on Spotify. They're all on uh, the, the Amazon podcatcher that, you know, the, the pod service that they do over there now too. basically wherever you can find, find podcasts. You can also find my crappy ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and Troy, man, you guys did a great job at all these Nashy films. That's, that's definitely, I would start there and then, if you're looking for the Nashy films, but if you're looking for just everything cinema, definitely the bloody pit. And then, uh, like you said, bloody pit of rod, the blog too, where you can actually, that's actually where you should start. Cause that's the home for all the stuff you're doing. And yeah, I do love it when you post, uh, when you find different, uh, you know, artwork for movies and stuff like that. And movie posters, foreign ones, those are always cool. Cause some foreign movie posters are absolutely insane. It could be like, you know, a movie poster for jaws and, you know, it has like, you know, a, a shark, a shark, you know, walking on land and biting people's heads off from like, it's, you know, ta- Taiwan or something crazy. I know it's 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 bizarre. <laughs> you can find so, some foreign poster art is better than the stuff that we got in the States. Oh, yeah. And some and some of it, you're pretty sure that whoever did the artwork never saw the film. You have no idea. They have no idea what they were doing. Well, never but, saw the you know, film, and they were on some kind of mushrooms or something, too. They're that's, insane. That's a distinct possibility in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like Ghana. Isn't that one of the countries where sometimes you'll find something? Oh, what oh, in yes. the world? The poster art from the, the posters, the movie posters from Ghana. I, it, it's as if they were being painted by someone whose hands were run over by a forklift and they still had to paint this thing. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's bizarre. Yeah, I don't ever want to go to Ghana because I'm afraid something bad's <laughs> going to happen there just based <laughs> off of their movie posters. <laughs> just look at the movie posters. Something is wrong down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe there's, they, there's... They, they need to heat their water up before they drink it. Something <laughs> has gone wrong. I was just gonna say it must be something in the water there. <laughs> <laughs> we were on we were on the same track. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great minds think alike. So, <laughs> uh, and you know whatever I've got too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Rod, for coming on the show, man. This was great. We are definitely gonna have to talk about some other crazy movies down the road. Maybe another Nashi film. Maybe we'll have to talk hey. about the Night of the Howling Beast, man. I, I really thought that was a fun one. So maybe we'll go down that road. Hey, when you when you when you're 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 told up front that there's going to be a Yeti in this movie and then it's going to fight a werewolf. Hey, what more do you need? 
I know, really. It's just you've got it all there. I mean, okay, maybe this one has more monsters. Uh, so, but yeah, you know, a Yeti versus <laughs> a werewolf is, is awesome. So, all right, but yeah, thanks again. I appreciate it, Rod, and uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really, really appreciate it. All you do, I uh, love your shows, and thanks uh, for coming on, buddy. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. All right, so uh, everybody, hang on. I will be back in a minute to wrap up. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil, and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Okay, everybody, that wraps up this episode. Uh, once again, I want to thank Rod uh, for coming on the show. Great guy, a wealth of knowledge about European cinema, especially, um, you know, the horror. Definitely check him out, you know. Uh, pitofrod.blogspot.com is his website where you can find all his stuff, his you know, podcasts, you know, links to everything he does. I did want to uh, point out, too, that uh, a week after this uh, episode is going to drop, uh, the... Uh, Monster Mania, a monster convention down there in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, October 8th, 9th, and 10th is a three-day you know, weekend for that uh, event down there. And Rod will actually be hosting a uh, Paul Nashie Film Festival uh, that weekend. I believe it's on the 9th, and uh, he'll be showing three really cool uh, Nashie films. So uh, he's going to host that, and that sounds like a ton of fun. So if you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area, definitely check that out. And uh, be on the lookout for four more episodes to drop in the month of October. And, of course, they will all be horror-related, so definitely tune in. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.